Well, it has uh, certainly been a joy to be with you this weekend, and uh, it's been great to get to know you. And so let me welcome you to Faith Bible Church in California. Uh, when you visit California, of course, you must go. Uh, we're about an hour and 15 minutes uh, just south of Dismal Land, the tragic kingdom, and just about an hour north of SeaWorld in San Diego, and about 45 minutes from the beach, and we would love to see you. And so if you do come... Tell us you're coming so I can meet you and uh, just greet you. And if you're there, uh, don't just disappear into the crowd. There's about, oh, I say 350 people there each service. And so I won't see you unless uh, you make yourself known. So you're welcome to come. We'd love to have you. Uh, we'll just consider you my Australian family. Is that okay? Uh, so it has been a real joy to be with you. And whenever you travel... You also want to make sure you know about the creatures that you might come in contact with. I'm not talking about you. Uh, I'm talking about the animals, you know. And of course, in Australia, you have, what, eight of the uh, most ten most deadly snakes, okay? So you got to watch out for the snakes here. Well, when you travel in the U.S., uh, you want to make sure that you watch out in the deer family for the moose, all right? Because the moose is the deer with attitude, Right? And so if you get, you know, 30 feet close to a moose, he's going to charge you, pin you, and try to cut you in half. That's how they work. Uh, so you always want to watch out. They look friendly. They look goofy. There was a cartoon, Bullwinkle and Rocky. Uh, it's not funny. He's not, they're not funny. They're not fun. Well, when you're out in the wilderness, of course, you want to be careful also as you travel in the U.S. about bear. Now, bear in general, uh, you know, or you need to be cautionary, but the certain kind of bear you want to be extremely cautionary about, and that's the grizzly. Now, the grizzly bear is very unique. Uh, a grizzly actually means uh, dangerous. Uh, it's actually talking about golden-haired. Uh, it's really uh, something that uh, is translated uh, in its uh, technical term, uh, Orcus artus horribilis, and that means horrible American bear. That's what it means. Uh, it's a scary creature, and uh, they're deceptively docile. Uh, they're deceptively, they look like teddy bears, uh, but they're not that way, and they're known for just a single swipe, and you're dead. Uh, that's, it's just that quick, and, and they can be very, very attitudinally challenged, and so if somehow they're with cubs and you're within 100 yards, you're now a threat. They're going to run you down. You want to be very careful about them. Well, there was one man who was trying to dispel all that. His name was Tim Treadwell. And Tim Treadwell was one of those guys who was filming close-up film of grizzly bears, and he was, in a sense, making friends with the grizzlies. He would actually become up to them and pet them, almost as like they were a dog. And, of course, the park rangers in Alaska were saying, this is a mistake. You're going to make people think that these are friendly creatures. You shouldn't be doing that. And, uh, interesting enough... Tim's time was up. He and his girlfriend, Amy, uh, disappeared in the wilderness of Alaska. They finally found his arm uh, with his watch still ticking. The bear had eaten everything else. And uh, it was as if the bear was saying, Tim, your time is up. Uh, interesting enough, uh, it's, you don't want to be playing with grizzly bears, right? You don't want to be toying with them. You don't want to be uh, making them your pet. And I thought, what a great analogy for us to think about our thoughts. 
sometimes we play with our anxieties. We play with our fears. We, we almost pet them and, and rehearse them and encourage them. Uh, sometimes we allow lust to ca- be captivated into our minds. And we almost treat it like it's a pet, but at some point it's going to turn on you. It's going to hurt you. It's going to destroy you if you don't deal with them, correct? Our thoughts are deadly things, and that's exactly why the Bible tells us that we need to be those people who would actually be careful of our thoughts, filter our thoughts. Now, when you read the Scripture, you're going to find that the Bible actually calls us to have a filter for our mouth, a filter for our eyes, and today you're going to meet the filter for your mind. Your brain needs a filter. You need to be cautious as to what you think about. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, in the midst of this challenge for us to stand firm, is one of those passages. One of those passages. This is a single verse that you must memorize. If you make it just your goal this week to memorize this verse, you're well on your way to helping your thinking become more of what God designed it to be. In fact, it is so vital that I don't think any Christian should not have this verse in their back pocket to think about whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is honorable, and etc. these categories, and to let your mind dwell on these things. I understand this truth will help you develop as a Christ-honoring Christian and one who appreciates the blessings of this world and anticipates the glory of the next, this verse will filter what you think and help you look at people and events the correct way. This single verse, when applied, is a game changer. This is it. Go for this verse, because verse 8, and we'll look a little bit at verse 9 as we wrap up our series, is going to be massively life-changing. Some of you ladies battle with fear. Some of you men battle with lust. This is your passage. And so what does it say? It says this in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, what? Dwell on these things. Now, if you take the first letter of each category of thought, what do you get? You get, write this down, thurplegep. Okay? Thurplegep. Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Thurplegep. That's right. That's the first letter of each of these terms. And it's a way for you to remember this particular verse. This is the filter for your mind. And the Bible talks a lot about your thinking, your mind making it clear you need a filter. And to prove that to you, by way of introduction, I want to give you some key thoughts about thinking, all right? They come right out of the Scripture. Number one, by way of introduction, thinking is the key to winning over temptation. Thinking is the key to winning over temptation. James 1, you know the passage. He describes temptation as a process. A temptation starts in your desires, your want to, your emotions. It moves to your mind and then finally results in a choice of your will. Feelings to mind to will choice. You can't totally control your feelings. We live in a world of based on feelings. And you can't totally control your feelings. You, you can't stop temptations from happening. Have you tried? You can't stop it. It's going to happen. You can't stop every desire. 
So the key to stopping temptation is your thinking in your mind. And then before it becomes a choice of the will. You can prevent internal sin and external actions of sin by filtering your thinking. You will have bad thoughts. You will be tempted. Now Martin Luther, one of my favorite reformers, uh, used to have some colorful expressions. And my favorite one is this. Are you ready? You can, can't prevent the birds from flying over, but you can prevent them from building a nest in your hair. Okay? He says you can't prevent the thoughts and the temptations from flying over, but you can prevent them from being ruminated and really taking root in your head. Does that make sense? And he's absolutely correct. In other words, don't take that second long look. Don't linger longer. Don't allow your mind to fantasize or to continue to work up your fear or your worry or your anxiousness. You must stop temptation and wrong thoughts by filtering your mind and making choices as to what you're going to think about. As a believer, you can choose to not dwell on wrong thoughts. You have the ability. God has given you that ability. So let's understand that. Number two, by way of introduction, thinking is who you actually really are. Thinking is who you are. Proverbs 23, verse 7. What does it say? For as a man thinks within himself, what? So he is. That's who he is. No matter what you say, what your ministry you're involved in, or how spiritual you appear, you, who you really are, is what you think. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 15, 18. Look at it. The things that proceed out of the mouth of the heart, uh, out of the mouth, come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts, false witness and slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. In other words, all those behaviors... Those things come from inside you. Your thinking is in you. It is you. It is who you are. And therefore, we need to address it that way. We need to not (laughs) look at thinking as something that, well, nobody sees that, so it's not a problem. It's actually the core of your behavior, your thinking, which leads to your behavior. Number three, by way of introduction, thinking is a silent dialogue with God. Luke 6, 8, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Luke 11:17 Jesus knew their thoughts. If you're unforgiving, if you're hateful in your heart or mind, if you're angry in your thinking, all those thoughts are completely expressed to God as if you said them to God verbally. Do you understand that? What's going on up there is like a dialogue with God. He knows exactly what's happening. And if you allow yourself to think lustful, perverted, or think sensually in your imagination, all those thoughts are explicitly expressed to God Himself. He knows your thoughts, whether you speak them or not, whether you act on them or not. Is that not true? Psalm 139, He tells us He knows what we're thinking before we think them. Matthew 9.4, Jesus Knowing their thoughts, said, said, why are you thinking evil in your heart? Why are you doing that? First Chronicles 28, verse 9. For the Lord searches all hearts. 
and understands every intent of the thoughts. God hears every thought as if spoken. Number four, by way of introduction. Thinking requires Christians to avoid garbage. Thinking, or your mind, requires Christians to avoid garbage. You know, G-I-G-O, right? Garbage in, garbage out. That's true for your mind. And the Greek word sensible in the New Testament has to do with thinking biblically with self-control. Thinking biblically with self-control. Sensible. That means you need to avoid exposing yourself to images or information which are impure or improper for the believer in order to live godly. You have to avoid some things in this world or turn away from some things. Just consider the opposite of what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Look at the opposite of what he would say. And let me read it to you. Finally, brethren, now not whatever is true, but let me put it the opposite. Finally, brethren, whatever is error, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is wrong, whatever is impure, whatever is unlovely, whatever is of bad repute, if there is any immoral or anything not worthy of praise, do not allow your mind to dwell on these things. Just as we are to dwell on certain things, we're to not dwell on other things. You and I must avoid anything that will contribute to bad thinking. By way of introduction, number five, thinking requires the saturation of Scripture. The saturation of your thinking in Scripture. You should be, and I should be, thinking about the Bible. Thinking about the truth of God's Word. The first filter that Paul gives us in verse 8 of Philippians 4, whatever is, what's the first filter? True. And the Scripture is true. Making the Scripture the filter of all godly thinking. Scripture is your light, your food, your guide. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Scripture is what the Bible says saves us. And Scripture is also what sanctifies us. And therefore Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. When he says within you, he's talking about your thinking. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell in your thinking. Let the Bible saturate your internal life, your mind, your thinking. Let the Bible be your lens, your filter, your focus, and be your decision maker. Let the Bible be the discussion that you have in your home. Let God's Word direct what you talk about, what you think about, by choosing to think about what Scripture says continually. Choose to have God's Word dwell within you, which means having the Bible be at home in your mind. And you know this verse, Psalm 119, verse 11, Your Word have I treasured in my heart that I may not, what? sin against you number six by way of introduction (laughs) thinking must be filtered in order to stand firm if you're going to stand firm you're going to be a mature saint you're going to do what paul has been then commanding and exhorting starting at verse one here throughout this entire passage then you're going to be one who filters your thinking in fact he begins verse eight with finally brethren you see it there finally brethren Finally, there is basically with the remaining time, what's, whatever's lacking, I'm going to fill in here. Finally means he's not going to leave this out, brethren. 
Brethren, of course, he's talking about brothers in Christ and Philippi, probably the leadership, probably the men of the church, probably the whole church here he's talking to. And regardless, he makes it clear that you need to be thinking about the correct things. You need to filter what you think about. Now, if you leave here today just with the thought, I should be filtering what I think about, I should be choosing and making choices what I dwell on, you're well on your way to growing greater in grace and becoming more like Christ. We need to filter our thinking. The point here is finally, I want to wrap up this discussion on standing firm by talking about your mind, Paul says. The Philippians are being persecuted by the Romans. They are pressured by unsaved Judaizers who are trying to add works to grace. They're pressed by unsaved Gentile grace abusers who are trying to say, hey, just live any way you like. They're pressured by and partitioned by division in their midst with Judea and Syntyche kind of dividing the body. So with all these painful trials, he says, stand firm. Well, how do you stand firm? Well, we've looked at it. Verses 2 and 3 is that you deal with relational tension around you you don't ignore it if you're going to stand firm you got to do that it also is in verse four you manifest genuine joy which then comes out as rejoicing and verse five you're embracing honest humility and you're using that as a tool in which to put christ on display verse six you're resting independent faith which leads to personal prayer and now verse eight you filter what you think about you filter it Again, read this powerful verse, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is what? Whatever is what? Honorable. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. God is clearly, pointedly commanding you to filter your thinking in three ways. Are you ready? Here they come, right out of the text. Three things. First, number one, filtered thinking involves searching out the good. Searching out the good. Now, too often, we imagine thinking only about certain topics. And that's part of this. But filter thinking also involves filtering out the bad from the good and focusing on the good. Hey, what you want to do is whatever's going on, whatever event is happening in your life, even when negative things happen, you're trying to find the good in it. You're trying to find the good in it. Uh, my friend Nigel Shaler was going to come with me on this particular trip, and uh, we were going to enjoy fellowship together and minister together. And he got sick, and his pancreas has really been acting up, and it's, he's going to have to be, you know, probably go under some additional surgery, etc. And so he's well on his way to getting better. But the whole time, he and I, as we've been talking about this, are thinking about, well, what good came out of this? Well, the good came out of it is that he really wanted to come on this trip, And it forced him to take this pain that he had in his side very seriously, went to the doctor and found out that it was serious and it needed to be taken care of. You know, we're always looking for the good in the context of something that is not always pleasant. And that's what Paul is actually telling us here, is in the midst of difficult circumstances, I want you to find the good things, the pure things, the good repute repute things. He's not just saying, think about these things. He's saying, draw it out of your circumstances. Now, understand, you know this world's a fallen planet, but would you agree there's beauty in our creation? Yes? And people are prone to sin, but there are times that God's goodness and kindness are seen through people in a sweet moment, correct? 
And there's a lot of selfishness in the world, but there are also gifts of sacrifice, which remind us of the greatest gift, the gift of Jesus Christ. And there are people who only focus on themselves, but occasionally there are expressions that are worthy of praise. Uh, Let me give you an idea. Uh, There was a man who supported the Mueller family uh, for a year during a very painful season of crisis in our lives. I've never met this man, but he encouraged us on a monthly basis on our family. Early on, there was a, a pastor friend who wanted to give me a second to, in order to buy a house. I didn't take him up on the offer, but he wanted me to be able to buy a house. I didn't let him, but his graciousness to me was a message from God. And in the midst of sometimes difficult times, people will manifest wonderful things that remind you of God's goodness, correct? And that's what he's talking about here. He takes proper thinking a step further. God's commanding you here to focus on what God is doing in the midst of a trial. You may go, this is overwhelming, this is painful, this is hurtful, but God is accomplishing something. There's pure things in it. There's honorable things in it. Find those things and dwell on those. See, he's not telling you to live in a fantasy world. I only think about what's good and pure and right and honorable. No, you're you're looking at difficult things and you're saying, I'm going to find the honorable things out of them. That's what he's describing here. In fact, the the Greek actually makes that really clear. This is part of what Paul has in mind. He wants you to focus on the pure things in difficulty, even in the middle of evil. How is God accomplishing His will? This is, again, if you look carefully, the Greek words translated whatever here, whatever is true, they actually mean as much as. As much as. So in the midst of a fallen world or an evil boss or a wicked teacher or an unsaved spouse, as much as is true, let your mind dwell on that. Are you getting it? That's what he meant. Whatever means as much as. And so as much as is true in that difficult circumstance, draw that out and think on that. Don't be thinking about the evil part. Thinking about what God's doing in this evil. In this difficulty. Consider your current trial right now. Now, if we were to go person to person in this room, we would hear a trial at some point. So you're going through something. Could be minor, could be great. But whatever is true, whatever is lovely, as much as is lovely, as much as is excellent in that trial, focus your thinking on that. That's why he phrases it, whatever. It really means as much as. Now, I've been reading a lot of history uh, my life, and, and maybe you've read or watched the, the, the series Band of Brothers. Anybody? It was uh, basically, sorry, it's a U.S. thing. Uh, and it was our military in World War II that were preparing paratroopers to parachute into various places in Europe. And uh, it's about this particular group of men. And the story goes that they, they were led by a very, very poor officer. Uh, He was insecure, he was cruel, he was capricious, he was a control freak, and he was literally the worst commander described in World War II. And he's training the most important troops of the entire uh, army. And so uh, the men are looking at this going, this is horrific. This guy's a wreck, you know, and he's kicking guys out and he's doing horrible things. But interesting enough, he worked them very hard. Harder than any troops have ever been worked. 
And they were ready for battle, physically, mentally, emotionally, because it had been so hard, so capricious, so difficult, that they were ready for anything. And as they look back and write about this particular commander, even though he was horrific, they were the most prepared troops in World War II. And therefore, they saw the good in it. Does that make sense? They saw that this horrible guy actually got them ready for battle. The same goes for you. You have a bad teacher, poor coach, unsaved spouse, rebellious child. In the midst of all that hardship, God is working good out in your life to accomplish His purposes, right? So as much as is true in that situation, dwell on that. God will even use evil people to accomplish His will. Let that sit for a moment. Some of you are going, no, He doesn't. Yes, he does. You already know. Genesis 50-20, Joseph and his brothers, right? These guys were evil. They were going to kill him. They throw him in a pit and sell him as a slave. And you know the story. He goes to Potiphar's house, and then he goes to jail, and he's forgotten and neglected, and then finally elevated to number two in Egypt. And what does he say in Genesis 50-20 to his brothers? He says, as for you who were going to kill me, and then you sold me as a slave, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? Good. In order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. You have a difficult marriage. God will teach you how to love sacrificially and make you more gracious to others because of it. He can make you better instead of bitter. You've been crushed unfairly which can make you compassionate towards others. Your friends betrayed you, which will help you understand the Lord's betrayal, right? We're going to be like Christ. That means we're probably going to be betrayed at some point by someone. And it will make you more caring for others who have been hurt deeply. Filtering your thinking means you find as much as you can in the midst of the trial, the injustice, the evil. You look for these categories that are listed here in verse 8, and you look for them and you draw them out so you find the true, the honorable, the right, the pure, the lovely, the good reputation, the excellent, and praiseworthy in the midst of the hard and sinful situations. That's what you mean. As much as is in the context of your life, you focus on those things. So sometimes we think, oh no, I just got to think of these categories. No, sometimes you're going, hey, this is a rotten situation, but somehow God, whatever is true in that, whatever is right in that, I'm going to dwell and think on those things. Number two, filtered thinking involves continually hunting down categories of thought. Okay, hunting down categories of thought. You could actually take each one of these categories and assign them a day of the week. Monday, I'm going to think about whatever is true. Tuesday, I'm going to think about whatever is honorable. Wednesday, I'm going to think about whatever is right. You could do it that way. But look closely at the beginning of verse 8. Let me point out two unusual facts about the verb is. Okay, Again, uh, we believe in exegesis here, drawing out what God has put in. Every word of Scripture is inspired. Therefore, what's the is therefore? Whatever is true. 
Well, so far, you've learned that Paul's saying, with the remaining time, brothers, as much as is true, the verb is there is actually the verb I am, or it is the verb to be, exists as, or to be. And so, as much as exists is true, as much as being true, as much as to be true, as in, in essence is true, and these categories basically follow all to be factually true all the time. So each category is to be something that is always true. Biblically true, always lovely, biblically lovely, always pure, biblically pure for every category. The verb is here, which is to be or exists as being as is, <laughs> I'm confusing you, I got it, also assumed verb for the rest of the category. So what he's saying is these things are, whatever they are, always true, those are the things you want to dwell on. The same verb then is assumed in every category here, so literally the next categories then are written this way, as much as exists honorable, as much as exists right, as much as exists pure, as much as exists lovely, and then as much as exists good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise. So what are we to think about? Well, what filter do you use to think? Here are the categories. This is what we think about. As much as exists true, or of these categories, think about these things. So finally, brethren, as much as exists continually true, our society focuses on whatever works. So-called Christian culture and the majority of churches today ask, how will this make me feel? But God commands, think about what is what? True. True. Godly men don't feel Jesus. They think the Word of God. As much as exists as continually true. Jesus is the truth. His word is the truth. You should be thinking about the character of Christ and the truth of God's word. False doctrine is attacking Philippi. Paul does not want them thinking about false doctrine or error. Don't spend time dwelling on evolution, egalitarianism, some new weird view. Don't think about falsehood, deception, except to understand the truth. Stand firm. You must not fill your mind with lies or speculation or feelings or error, but truth. And the same in the next category of Thurplegep. They're just unique expressions of God's character or different ways to view truths of Scripture. Regardless, every category is a filter to guide your thinking. So what is the next category? Whatever is continually honorable. Honorable. Honorable is noble, dignified, honest, revere, worship, worthy of respect. In other New Testament passages, honorable is actually used to describe deacons and older godly men. And they're, they're dignified. They're honorable. In fact, uh, these are thoughts which, you know, don't focus on the mundane or the earthly, but things that are heavenly and worthy of respect. Now, this is a little scary, because there are frivolous and flippant thoughts, correct? And there are honorable, dignified thoughts. And some of the youth in California, all they think about is YouTube Flippant things like cats that play chopsticks with chopsticks, you know, on the piano. Uh, silly things, frivolous things. God wants to elevate our thoughts so that they're thinking about things that are honorable. Don't think about things that don't matter. Think about things that do. Christians, and I'm not saying that you can't be refreshed by watching, you know, a rugby game or or enjoying, you know, the All Blacks, the greatest rugby team that ever existed. Um, 
Sorry, I had been brainwashed. That's true. Christians filter their thinking by concentrating on those things that eternally matter. Eternally matter. Thirdly, whatever is right. Right is an adjective. It's translated righteous and just. And he's talking about God's standards, God's plan, God's word, God's law, God's salvation. Um, it's, it's thinking about <laughs> our righteousness. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are just. That's whatever is right. Same word. You're to be thinking about those things which are just and fair. And filter your thinking by dwelling on all things that are righteous. You know what's interesting is justification is Christ robing us in His righteousness, right? So we can then stand in His presence with the robe of His righteousness. And we want to be thinking about those things, salvific things, things that relate to our salvation and righteousness and what's right. Fourthly, whatever is continually pure. Pure are those things that describes the Scripture as holy, morally clean, and undefiled. Remaining a virgin till you're married is a purity to think through. Keeping yourself unstained by impurity of thought and speech. The Roman environment was very impure. Very impure. Even in Philippi. And yet in the midst of all that impurity, they were to pursue pure thoughts. In fact, you're to purify yourself just as He is pure. In 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope fixed on himself talking about the second coming of Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure. You're to filter your thinking by dwelling on those things that are pure. Fifthly, whatever is continually lovely. Lovely. The Greek word lovely occurs only here in the New Testament. It means sweet, gracious, generous, or pleasing. It's unique. It's attractive, amiable. Never vengeance, never bitterness, never criticism, but think on those things which are attractive and winsome and lovely and kind and gracious and sympathetic and forbearing. Filter your thinking like things lovely. Now lovely, we think about paintings, we think about creation and views, but he's thinking about gracious words, gracious actions, not focused on bitterness or criticism. Sixthly, whatever is continually of good repute, that only occurs here in the New Testament as well, a hapax legomena, and it describes something which is highly regarded or well thought of. Uh, you're to think about topics that you could actually speak to God about, uh, that you would converse with Christ about. Since He hears your thinking anyway, have in mind those things that you could say to Him. That's what good repute is. Filter your thinking by dwelling on things that are biblically well thought of. And then seventhly, if there's any excellence... Excellence is having the right tool or the, the right help, the right friend, the right moment. It's excellent. It's the best that there is. In fact, focus on those things that are not good, not better, but think on those things that are what? Best. The best things. And then eighthly, if there's anything worthy of praise, anything you can praise God for is something you can think about. Thurplegep. Say that word with me. Ready? Thurplegep. All right? Philippians 4.8. Filter your thinking through God's character and God's Word. Choose to think about it. When you find yourself dwelling on anxious thoughts, grinding over some worrisome thing that's ahead of you, uh, struggling through some sort of relational tension, uh, being tempted by some sort of lustful thinking or greedy thoughts, you need to then say, No, Lord, I'm going to think about Thurplegep, whatever is pure, whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, and you choose to make that choice. 
The NASB gives us a real good hint on the third point. The third point is filtered thinking involves choosing to concentrate. Choosing to concentrate. Now, this may hurt your head a little, but understand we're to focus and concentrate. This is what he says in this passage. This is not an option. Don't just hear the truth today. Do it. Concentrate. NASB says, dwell on these things. ESV says, think about these things. New King James Version says, meditate on these things. In order to grow up, mature, are you ready? Here it comes. Stand firm. How do you stand firm as a Christian? You're commanded to focus your thinking on these categories. That means you can, Christian, because God never commands you to do something you can't do, correct? So he does, that he enables you to do. So as a Christian, if you say, I can't, what you really mean is, I won't. And if you really are unable, it means you're not his child. You can do this. Ladies, you can choose not to fear, not to worry, not to fret. You can concentrate. You can concentrate on truth. Focus on thermal gift. Practice thinking in these categories. You can do it. Standing firm, uh, growing in a go- as a godly woman requires filtered thinking and choosing to concentrate on thermal gift and not on finances, not on fears, not on failures. The command to dwell here, you see it at the end of verse 8, look at it. Dwell, it means to reason. It means to think through, to ponder, to reflect. The word is logizomai, which was where we get our English word for logic. And it is, in the business world, it was used to describe deliberation. It was used in business to describe to calculate. He's assuming you're going to work at it. Are you getting the, 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 the tenure here? You have to work at your thinking. Now some of you are going, no, 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 this, this is, I don't have to work on that. This is free. This flows. You know, it, it's just going to go. No, you have to work at your thinking. It's not enough to know what to think. God commands you to concentrate, work at it, focus on these categories, filter your thinking, even find these categories in the midst of a fallen world and evil circumstances. This is what God brings about so that we might stand firm. If your thinking is not focused, it's going to then be led hither and yonder, and you will not be a firm, standing, maturing Christian. You say, well, how should I respond to this challenge? You need to respond with verse 9. Ready to wrap it up? Verse 9. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Develop obedient habits. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is a command and it, to practice two things, two crucial steps to wrap this hall up. You want to first be pursuing a mature model. People who can encourage you, help you. Someone you can model as they pursue a life of obedient habits. Not someone who talks Jesus and lives any way they like, but someone who actually obeys the Word of God. They know the Word, they seek to live it. They don't do it perfectly, but they seek to live the Word of God. They practice the Word of God. The things you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So he's saying, look for a model who's trying to live for Christ. Someone who knows the Word, and is seeking to live the Word. 
we've got a bunch of people in California, and maybe there's some here, who know the truth but don't seek to live it. They just want to fill their brains with more and more knowledge but not put anything into practice. And Jesus warns of people like that, hearers but not doers of his word. We want to be those who are hearing truth and seeking by dependent obedience upon the Spirit of God to live the truth of God's Word, living it out. You want to find a mentor who are living it out. The Philippians had Paul as their obedience model. And if you're going to look say, hey, how do I filter my thinking? How do I you know, express humility? How do I rejoice always? You need to have a model who helps you with that. And it could be uh, fellow models. It could be plural models. It could be multiple people within the context of a church family. And then secondly, you want to pursue a lifestyle of obedience. A lifestyle of obedience. Practice the truth. Literally, practice obedience. Cut out optional things and live obedient things. Cut out good things and follow the best things. Rearrange your life in order to obey God's word. Uh, It's not that tough, you know. Involve yourself in service, involve yourself in fellowship, involve yourself in faithful attendance, involve yourself in a personal quiet time where you're seeking to obey God's word and God's promises in this verse is the God of peace will be with you. He will help you in this process. So let's take it home. Are you ready? Okay, we're working on our thoughts. We're seeking to obey the truth. And so what do we do? Well, standing firm requires a community. These commands in verses 1 through 9 are all plural. You don't hear that a lot, but that's exactly what they are in the original language, and we are to pursue these steps as a church family. And you were never meant to just show up and only listen. You were meant to be involved in each other's lives in order to help each other to stand firm and grow. Help each other grow to be like Christ. It's called discipleship intentional relationships for the purpose of growth and every christian is intended to be intertwined with other believers to help them grow to be like christ standing firm number two requires dependence dependence you can't obey these commands in your own strength can i hear an amen to that You can't obey these commands at all unless you're saturated in the Word, dependent on the Holy Spirit, moment by moment, confessing all known sins, seeking to serve in the church, share Christ in the world. You can't do it. The Spirit must live through you. It is no longer I who live, but what? Christ lives through me. That's right. I'm reliant upon the Spirit of God. I step out as an act of the will and dependence upon Him, and God works through me. I can't do it, but Christ can through me. Number three, standing firm requires examination. Paul uh, commands the Corinthians to examine themselves. Is this verse listed for you in your outline, 2 Corinthians 13.5? Is it there? Okay, well then let me read it. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless you indeed fail the test? Now, let's wrap it up. For the believer, two questions. Have you been here to hear God's Word? Or are you here often enough to actually see God's Word transform you? Secondly, have you been hearing the Word only? Or are you actually doing the Word? You want these truths not only to be familiar, but to be practiced in your life. That's the rub. Not just to know the truth, but then to act upon the truth 
and to see it fleshed out in our lives. Do you fail the test that Christ is in you, meaning He's through you? You see Him through you. Don't fail that test. And for the make-believer, not just the believer, somebody who's close to the kingdom but not in the kingdom, somebody who comes to church but is not a Christian, the test of 2 Corinthians 13.5 is, is Christ in you? Is He real, alive, genuine, alive relationship where you know His peace and joy and intimacy? Is Christ in you where He is transforming you according to His Word to help you to stand firm? Is Christ in you where He shows you through others in gracious, kind, giving, sacrificial, loving relationships? And if not, then cry out. Say, Lord, draw me. Lord, draw me. Make me willing to follow You. I'm lost. I'm condemned. And Lord, save me or I will perish. Christ became a man. God became a man. Bore our punishment on the cross. Rose from the dead so that we might be saved. That He might give us salvation and abundant life now and eternal life forever. But that will only come as you surrender to what He did. You exchange your life for His. I pray that you will. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this passage. We pray, Father, that you might impact us and change us and mold us into the men and women you want us to be. And we know, Father, that requires that we work at focusing our minds. We don't allow ourselves the freedom to think worrisome thoughts, anxious thoughts. We don't allow ourselves the freedom to think lustful thoughts. We don't allow ourselves to constantly be focused on mundane thoughts. But that we would begin to choose to say whatever is true. And think about whatever is right. And whatever is pure. And whatever is honorable. And whatever is worthy of praise. That we would begin to look at life and the difficult circumstances around us and see the good in the midst of the evil and dwell on that and dwell on your good purposes and your loving, controlling hand. And no matter what circumstances we end, that you're at work and we can see good in it. We can see true in it and pure in it. And Father, we pray that we might be those who would Nussle up to examples around us. Examples who seek to not only know the truth, but live the truth. And that we might learn from their practice and begin to grow on our own practice of disciplining our minds, manifesting joy, dealing with difficult relationships, and that we truly might be a Christian who stands firm on your word, stands firm on the rock. And Father, if there are any here this morning who don't know You, we pray that You would open their heart and their mind to see their desperate need of forgiveness. And that You are real and genuine and life-changing. And Father, that they would surrender, confess their sin, and that You would give them the faith to believe and the repentance to turn from sin, and that You would regenerate them and give them a new heart so they might know Your peace and love and joy and be able to dwell on these things. 
and we'll give you all the glory for what you'll do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.